You may be seated. So I don't think we ever know how each day is going to begin or end or anything like that. And so I didn't plan on, um, I've turned the air conditioning on here because I'll acknowledge it's hot. Um, I did turn it on between services, so hopefully it'll, it'll kick on some. If not, we'll all just sweat together. Um, or maybe just me. So, um, But I, I, I do think it's important in the church that we're transparent about things that go on and you guys know what's going on. And so um, tomorrow, hopefully... Uh, we will no longer own the Moreland campus that we'll be selling that tomorrow, and so that will be um, not a burden we're paying every month any longer. Uh, but once you know what, what we plan to do with that money, because if you say, well, you had this and you were paying this, so what are you doing with it now? Uh, the plan is for us to pay off this building. Uh, we, we owe a little over $200,000 left on this, and uh, the, the plan would be to take what we've been paying on that to pay on that, uh, to pay on this campus from what we're paying on that campus, and that would mean that in less than five years we should be um, out of debt. So that's that's our goal. And so once you know where that money's going, so you know what, what we're doing with it. Um, we just think it's really important that if you have questions, you ask them because those are legitimate questions and, and good questions to ask. And so we, we even post our financial stuff every month so that you can check it. But we just want to make sure you know that and are aware of that. Um, We've been going through the book of Matthew and looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll continue that in just a moment, and today we're in Matthew chapter 6, uh, starting verse 19, but before we get to that, um, I don't know if you know this or not, but in a week and a half, people will begin to celebrate a holiday, and in this holiday, people will gather from all different walks of life, and, and they will drive in from various locations and various places, and they, they've already started thinking about what they need for it, and, and they've been preparing, and some have been checking advertisements, and, and all kinds of things, and they, they'll wait wait in traffic and whatever else it may take, but this holiday, and some of you right now are, are wondering if I'm talking about Thanksgiving, uh, I'm not. I'm talking about Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, although it now has started on that Thursday, um, and so I don't think it's even Friday anymore, but, but that's a holiday, I would argue, that's probably celebrated by more people than even Thanksgiving itself. In fact, people have like skipped their Thanksgiving dinner so they can wait in line at stores because they want to make sure they get what they really want. Notice I said one, because what I'm convinced of is more often than not, we find ourselves, okay, I've, I've only participated one time in Black Friday. Um, it was one time Kate and I had just gotten married, and we went to the outlet malls, and, and we had to wait to get off the exit, so we have never done it again. Um, but I can't say the same for some of my family, who, who make it a point to, you know, they know where they're going for breakfast after shopping, which doesn't make sense. If you have to go to breakfast after shopping, that's too early, exactly. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um... Not knocking any of you to do it, but, but what, I've, what I've become aware of more and more is that we're convinced that there's so many things we need or we want or we have to have. And so we'll endure all kinds of crazy things to get them. And so I'm even convinced that Jesus understood that even 2,000 years ago. I don't know if he was thinking in terms of Black Friday, but I think he got it. And so even sometimes I'm amazed at the, the scriptures we read about and then shed light into even our life in the 21st century. And this might be as applicable as anything we read. And so if you'd stand this morning as we read from Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If, then, the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? 
No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. I started thinking about how I could talk about storing up treasures and, and how to illustrate that, and so I thought of, of two, two illustrations, but unfortunately I couldn't find either one of them because they're no longer that important. Um, I wish I could have gone back and got cell phones from like the last 20 years. You know, like every two or three years they came out with some kind of new design. They went from like the, the phones that looked like a shoe, you know, they were the size of a brick. Um, and, then, and then they went for this period of time where they're trying to see how small they could make cell phones. I had an uncle and a cousin who were competing to see who could get the smallest cell phone. At one point, I don't know how they dialed them because they were so small. But, but, you know, like there's this transition. In fact, Apple's made a killing on banking on the fact that we want the newest and the best thing out there. And, I, and if I were to go back, I could have taken you back to when I was in like fourth or fifth grade. I don't remember exactly when it was, and, and uh, it's probably good that I don't. But, but you may remember. If you're under probably... 20 to 25, this, this illustration means nothing to you in here right now, um, but you may remember the boom boxes people had that they would even try to carry over their shoulder. They were a really big deal. You guys don't even get it. They were before iPods, and, and, and they were so cool that you wanted one, and I remember when I, I had asked for one for a long time, I finally got one for Christmas. In fact, my, my dad thought it was so funny that he had my mom wrap up the box that the big boom box came in and put a thesaurus and a dictionary and something else in there. It wasn't funny. But this such important gift that we had to have, that I had to take care of, that I was going to, I promised that I would be good to it and I would take care of it and it would last. I can tell you right now that by the time I quit using it, the top didn't stay shut anymore and I had to put a book on it to hold it down. Yeah, I used the thesaurus that was in the box. And I have no idea today where that CD player is. And probably you can think of stuff that you had to have over time that you have no idea where it is today. But it was so important in that moment you got it. And see, the Israelite people were no different than us because they found themselves, the Jews, not, i gotta, I got to apologize. I find myself always having to go back to reference things in the Old Testament for us to understand what Jesus is talking about in the New Testament. But so one of the ways we do that is we look at the people, the Israelites, when they came out of Egypt, they came on this exodus, they left this place of oppression where they were enslaved in Egypt, and they found themselves out wandering in the desert, and they were frustrated and they were angry because, see, in Egypt they had stuff. They had places to call their own. They had houses and they had things, and so they found themselves always worried that they wouldn't have enough and they wouldn't be able to make it from day to day. And so, so God says to them, listen, I will provide for you food. I'll give you manna every day. Every morning you go out and you pick it up, and it'll be enough for the day. And so some people got it, and that was enough for them. They'd go out and they'd pick up for the day, but some people, I'm afraid I might have been one of these people, I don't know. But some people weren't convinced that there would be enough for tomorrow, and so they would go out, even though God said, every day I'll provide, they would they'd go ahead and get a little extra so that if, if something should happen and God wouldn't provide the next day, they'd have what they need. The problem was God would, would make that stuff spoil because the whole idea was this, that, that for them to remember that, that he's enough. That it doesn't matter what they have, that it's never going to be enough. It doesn't matter what they, they own, it's never going to be good enough because they can't just take care of for tomorrow, they have to take care of only today. And that he will provide enough for just today, not, not even worrying about tomorrow. And, and i got to be honest with you, I found myself holding some things in my life too tightly at times. Maybe you've done that. I'm sure you have. I remember when I, I, I got my first car that I, I bought. It was just out of college. And, and I had, had an old car, and so I, 
I got talked into a leasing a car, which was a terrible idea for me. Maybe it's a great idea for you. I went way over the mileage. So, so anyway, I got this car, and it's black, and I, have a, I like black cars, and so I, I got this black car, and they talked me into it, and I was so excited, and I moved into this new place where I was living, and I lived with, well, I lived above Edith. Edith was the 90-year-old woman who lived below me. Um, I rented from her upstairs apartment, and so she had this garage, and Edith couldn't drive anymore, so I could use her garage. So I would pull my car in the garage, and I washed it at least once a week, and would sweep out the inside, and kept it really clean. And once you have kids, throw all that out the window. But, but at that point, I really kept my car clean. And I'll never forget the day I went out there, and I heard this crash. And I thought, uh-oh. I thought someone must have been in the garage, so I get out there. But no, no, no. No one was in the garage. But you remember those box TVs everyone had that were made of wood? You know, the ones that someone had to have at some point in their life, too, that weigh about 250 pounds apiece? Yeah, one of those was on a shelf in Edith's garage. And it fell onto my car, my new car, the car I'd just gotten, and it was pinned between the wall and the car. So there was no way to move the car without making that fall, and so I'm trying to pick this up and shift it around, and eventually I got it out of there, but, but it wasn't before there were two dents in the side of the car. And I wanted to just, you know, you're just sick to your stomach, because you're thinking, I don't want to pay to get this fixed, I just got that. Well, anyway, I didn't pay to get it fixed, but I did have hail damage later, and it, it got taken care of. But that's a whole other story. But that car that was so important, I don't even drive anymore. I don't even know where it is. But it's funny how stuff becomes so important that we want more, or we want this, or we want better, or there's something that we want that we just can't seem to get enough of. And this is why Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, I have to... If I could just get that, I'd be content. If I could just have one more thing, if I just made a little more money, if I just, if I just, and we would keep going and going and going because it's never going to be enough. And I even referenced last week this idea of Solomon and his kingdom and, and how wise he was. Solomon could never, ever get enough. He couldn't get enough power, so he married more and more women because it connected him with more and more kingdoms. He couldn't get enough wealth, so every year he talked about he had 666 talents of gold every year. And that 666 isn't like a mark of the beast. It's this idea that you can never have enough. It's never complete because seven is the number of completion. And he could never have enough to be complete. Because he wanted to be like all the other kingdoms and have all the stuff that they had. And he forgot that his kingdom was really about saying that God was enough for his people. Now, I have to be careful here that I, I, some of you right now are going, well, he's saying right now that you can't make money and you can't have stuff, and that's not what I'm saying. What, I'm, what I, I want to be very clear is some of the wealthiest people I know are some of the most generous people I know. Also, some of the wealthiest people I know are some of the stingiest people I know. And some of the poorest people I know are some of the most generous people I know. And some of the poorest people I know are the greediest people I know. It doesn't matter how much or how little you have. It's about the condition of your heart. And so we find ourselves in positions going, what's the condition of my heart? Why is it I want this? What is it that defines me? What is it that I need or think I have to have? And so often it's things that we look back and we go, you know, that really wasn't as important as I thought it was. And that so often begins to define who we are. And so, so if the scriptures say, how then do we store up treasures in heaven if the ones here on earth are just, they're passing and they're fleeting? How do we store up one's ones in heaven. And so the Jews have understood this in two kind of ways. They've understood it as what we do, our deeds, our actions, they matter. That's how we store up treasures in heaven, by how we live our life. 
And they understood it a second way. Is it was about the character of the person. In other words, it's about their heart. It's about how they live life. It's about are they people of integrity? Do they do things that draw them closer to God and make them more like him and his graciousness and his giving? Or does it make them more like people who hoard? Because by the way, hoarding probably is a sin. Anything that we feel like we have to have or we need or it brings us in, it moves us further away from God because whatever we have to fill in our life is going to take us further and further of who he is. Jesus goes on to say the eye is the lamp of the body, and so we, we can get that. We can see when we see something, with it it helps us understand what it is to do, and if we close our eyes, we run into stuff. In fact, I've, I've got to be honest, I occasionally will not turn on lights as I walk through the church, and I haven't been here very long, and that's become a really bad idea, because there are little steps in places you don't know they're there, or there are walls that weren't there when I thought they were there. In fact, there's a little half door in the nursery that, actually, that doesn't matter if the light's on or off, I still hit that door. Um... But in darkness, we run into stuff. We find ourselves in places where we get in trouble. We find ourselves in, in things where we, we can't go where we want to go. And the truth is, even when there's light, if we're not careful, we allow things to kind of filter the light. Things that would filter it in bad ways, and ways that we don't want it to. And so what happens then is we, is we begin to be blinded to other stuff. We begin to allow other things to creep in and to, to come in the way of what we see. Like, I remember when, when we were little, I, I called my mom yesterday because I wanted to know, was there ever a time, like, at Christmas that I wanted something and I made a really big deal about it and I got it and then I just basically didn't care? And she goes, well, I don't really remember anything like that. And so we were talking about some things. She says, but what I do remember is you and your brothers when you got these electric guitars and, and, your, and your youngest brother got a, got a drum set and so you guys were playing this and you were leading the singing and we have it all on videotape. And she said, and we still watch it to make ourselves laugh. It's true. You can ask my wife about my singing ability. It's non-existent. But what we were ta- started talking about is remember the time when my brother was probably seven, eight, nine years old? And we just opened all these gifts on Christmas morning. You know, you've got the paper kind of everywhere because it hasn't all been picked up yet. And you got your piles and you, you like sort them out for there were four kids in our house. So my parents would sort out the piles and you had your stuff and you had probably more than you ever should have gotten. And then I remember my, my mom is the person that she has to have it to the penny. Like, you know, one year for Christmas I got $2 because she keeps track on receipts and makes sure it's everyone's even and fair. But because of that, my brother didn't get the one thing he wanted. He wanted a pair of Chicago Bulls basketball shorts. And all the stuff sitting in front of him wasn't enough because the one thing he wanted, he never got. And so he threw a huge fit that we still laugh about, that every Christmas we still talk about him throwing this big fit about not getting his Chicago Bulls basketball shorts. But the problem is, we laugh about that now, but for some of us, we've never outgrown that. Because I just want that one more thing. If I could just have that one more thing, my life would be so much better. If I could just get that other thing that, that ah, man, if I could just get that other thing. And then we hear stories like this, where a guy I, I met who, who teaches at a college out in Oklahoma and works at a church out there, and, and I met at a youth conference a few years ago, and he told this story about when he was at this little Nazarene church in Iowa, this little small church, and his dad worked for some big company, I don't remember what it was, and it was like the, I don't know, he, he was in the executive team, but he got moved around a lot, and so every few years he'd move, but, but he remembered this church in Iowa, he said that, you know, I, I was, my family was probably the richest family in the church. And I remember this poor lady that she would come to church, and she always carried two grocery sacks with basically everything she owned in them. One time we had to take her home because it was snowing and she didn't want to walk home in the snow. We, we offered to take her home and saw her little tiny apartment with her slanted roof and it was just kind of sad. 
But I'll never forget the Christmas, the one year we were there. We only lived there for a couple years. When she showed up at church and she came up to me, because I was one of the few teenagers, and you know, I had my new Jordan shoes and whatever else I wanted for Christmas. And she came up to me that, that Christmas morning. She handed me a Hershey's chocolate bar wrapped up. And I knew the big sports for her was 25 cent coffee for seniors on Sunday mornings at Hardee's. She handed me that Hershey's chocolate bar. That was maybe the best gift I've ever been given. Because I knew it literally was about all she had, that, 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 was, that she herself couldn't even afford that. But he said, I knew in that moment there was generosity that I had knew nothing about, even as a little boy. So the questions become for us, who do we serve? The text moves this idea of you can only serve one master, either God or money. You can't serve both. And so that's this question, who do you serve? What's important to you? What, what do you live for? What do you value? Is it, is it your prestige or your title or your job? Or, or is it money or is it stuff? Or what is it that has your heart? Where, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is it that defines you? What is it that you have to have that you can't live without? And the word here where it says master, it's, this, it's not used very much in the New Testament. I'm sorry, this thing moves a little bit. It's not used very much in the New Testament. But the master they're using here is a master in terms of slavery. And so slaves in that day, not, not unlike when we think of slavery, is this idea that it's all-encompassing. That person owns every aspect of you, all who you are. And so Jesus says you can either be a slave to money or a slave to God. You choose. Who are you going to give all that you are to? Who are you going to let take all of your life? Who's going to control all of you? Is it going to be stuff? Is it going to be this consumeristic mentality? Is it going to be what you can gain or what you can prosper? Or is it going to be God? Because it can't be both. You can only serve one or the other. It, it can't be both. It's not possible. Because you, your heart can't be divided like that. Because you can't serve either one that way. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard the story of Mother Teresa. I don't... I don't know if you, you know much about her, but one of the things that always amazes me when I hear her story again and again is Mother Teresa grew up in Kolkata, India, and she was um, from a very rich family. They lived in, in, in a portion of the city where, where it was gated and, and very nice, and, and as she grew up, um, she decided she didn't really want to get married, so what, what do you do then if you're from a wealthy family and you don't want to get married, and so you're not sure what to do, so she joined a nunnery and she became a nun. But she became a teacher at this private Roman Catholic school, this very posh school where all the wealthiest people sent their kids. And so she had a beautiful place she lived, and she had great meals, and she had everything she could ever want, and, it was, and she still had money coming from her family. And so it was a great, great thing. And so one day she's in a car with some nuns, and they're driving across town to a part of the city that she'd never been before, and they drive through this slum. And she'd never seen such poverty and oppression and brokenness before in her life. And as she drove through, she saw bodies on the side of the street because they were just left there until eventually they would get cleaned out where people had died. And she got back to the nunnery and where the school was, and she just didn't know what to do with what she saw. She began praying and praying and praying that God would help her to know what to do with that. And eventually, she called the city officials, and she found herself in a position where they, they gave her a room. She asked for one room in that slum. Can I just have one room? That's all I need. And from that, from that one world, Mother Teresa literally changed the world. Because you've heard of her. 
This one woman in this, in this room, and one of the characteristics of Mother Teresa was that she would give the shirt off her back. She literally gave the shoes off her feet numerous times and again because it, was so, it happened so often, in fact, that her feet were so mangled. And people didn't know why until one person went to interview her, and they, they fought around for a couple days, and she would take the shoe off and give it to the person who needed it. And she would just take whatever shoes they had left lying around when she got back. She didn't wear shoes that fit because she felt like she could give them to someone who needed them more. Because God's people aren't defined by their possessions or by their wealth, they're defined by their generosity. God's people are defined by their heart, by their character, by who they are, not by what they have. And so I'm not going to say don't go shopping Black Friday because some of you may get a great deal. Go, have a great time. But it's about the character of our heart. It's about what do we live for, what do we value the most, what is it that we can't live without? Are there things that we can't live without that really aren't that valuable? Is it our job? I, I got to tell you, I, I asked my dad, um, I guess it was a few months ago, I just said, you know, Dad, if there was one thing you could change when you, when you raised us, if there was one thing you could do differently, what would you do differently? And he said, well, without being specific, because I'm sure there are lots of things I would have said or done differently, but the one big thing that I would have done differently is I would have been home more. My dad worked a lot, probably not unlike some of you or some of your dads. And I remember my dad saying, you know, it's not that, and I said, Dad, you know, we never thought anything about it. We knew you just were trying to provide for us, and you had to work, and honestly, we didn't ever fault you, because we knew he wanted to be there, because we knew his heart was with us, but even though he was working, and he said, yeah, but, but I miss too much. And I got to tell you, that's one of the fears of my life, is that someday my kids will look at me and go, Dad, we, we know you love the Lord, and we know you love us, but, but we're afraid you put the church or other people ahead of us. And I'm guessing that's probably a fear of yours, that someday your kids will go, you know, I know you love us, but, but you just really didn't have time for me because you're so worried about making more. Or, Dad, I know, or Mom, I, I know you cared for us, but, but this seemed to be so much more important. And I don't know what it is that defines us, but it needs to be defined by a characteristic of generosity, by people whose hearts are turned to God above all else. Because if we could live today like we, this was our last day, it'd be a good way to live, but also at the same time live like we might be 100. How do we live in this tension, live in this balance? Because there's, there's no way you can live totally one way, but you can allow your treasure to be where your heart is and recognize that your treasure must be who God is. Because anything less than that is fleeting and shallow and short and won't always leave you empty and wanting more. Our family and our friends and those who are around us should never doubt where our treasure is, where our heart is, what we desire to do. And in fact, I'd say it this way. The people of God always choose relationships over money and Christ above all. People of God always choose relationships over money or possessions and always choose Christ above all. Because when we choose Christ, we're saying to, to, to him and to the rest of the world, I'll lay everything at the foot of the cross, that I'll give you all my life, that no longer will I hold anything back, but you can have every aspect of who I am, and no longer will it be about me and what I want, but about you and what you want and how I can further your kingdom in this world so I can be a part of the redemption of all things to make all the wrongs right, to fix all the brokenness that we see, so that no longer are things the way they are, but they're the way they should be. And that's who God is, and that's what he's calling us to today. But where our treasure is, there's where our heart will be also. I mean, it doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money. 
is the root of all evil. Because it's about our heart. It's about what we love. It's about what we put first. It's about what's most important to us. Because the people of God are defined by a generosity that's not measured in dollars and cents. And it doesn't matter how rich or how poor you are. It's about, about the shape of your heart and of your character. And God desires to shape us and mold us into a people that we can't even begin to imagine. But if we begin to live that way, if we begin to be that kind of place, then the church would be what it's always been intended to be, a place where people are healed and restored and made right, and where the brokenness is repaired and fixed, and we'd be a part of that redemption work. And that's what God is calling us to today. He's calling us to choose relationships over money and possessions and to choose Jesus above all else. Father, will you help us today as we prepare to sing in a moment and as we, as we begin to leave this place and go out into the world and as we move closer to Black Friday. May it not be stuff that defines us, but may it be you. Well, we know there's nothing wrong with having stuff or making money, but we know there's something wrong when that becomes what we live for when it becomes the most important thing in our life. So may it not be ever true. May you always be first. May our family and friends come next. And then, and then whatever else may be. But may there never be a question in our mind or the people that we're close to that you're first, that we love you above all else. May you be what defines us. May it be that it's not, it's not us, but it's you. It's so hard to say, God, I, I want to give you everything I have, and I want to let you take control of my life. It's so easy to say, but I want this, and I want that, and, and all of us are guilty of that at times. But shape us into the image of Jesus who came into this world in a manger, and yet he left it naked on a cross. Help us to be the kind of people who are humble whether we're rich or whether we're poor, may our hearts be turned to you. May you be the treasure that we seek. May it be your kingdom we live for above all else. And may this church be defined by its character and not by its stuff. May you guide and direct us this day.